Welcome to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, and we're here to talk with a very special gentleman, Steve Hamm. Steve, welcome to our show. Hey, thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Now, who do you work for? Uh, Answers in Genesis. So we're uh, an apologetics uh, organization uh, defending uh, God's Word from the first verse in Genesis. You're actually one of the largest apologetics ministries around, aren't you? One of, yes. And you have a building over there that's very special. Millions of people come to see, don't you? Uh, the Creation Museum, yeah. 70,000 yes. square feet of uh, incredible museum. Walk through the Bible, Mike. Right. And everybody should come to that. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, as many people as can. So just write... Uh, Right near the Cincinnati airport, just in northern Kentucky, just on the, on the border of uh, Ohio and, and Indiana. And they're not only going to learn the truth about the Bible, they're going to learn real science there, aren't they? They absolutely are. In fact, they're going to see how the history in the Bible actually relates to the physical world that we live in and how observational science actually does confirm that history. So it's really great. I like the way you said that. Observational science does confirm the Bible. Mm -hmm. A lot of people put it the other way around. They're looking for the Bible to confirm science, and that's not the right thing, are they? No, no. We, uh, we, we, we start by understanding this world with the history of God's Word, but then we use uh, our senses and, uh, and test and repeat and, and, and observe uh, the, the, the evidence uh, with, our, with our senses to confirm the history that is given to us in God's Word. Now, what do you do at Answers in Genesis? Uh, I look after the worldwide uh, outreach ministry, actually, Mike, and what we do is we go out and help people to um, defend uh, Scripture against the attacks that come onto it. So, you know, there are a lot of those questions that are, that are coming, you know, what about radiometric dating, what about ape-man, what about dinosaurs, and all of those sorts of things. So we run conferences all around the world, and we're actually uh, training pastors all around the world to help their churches to be able to defend the truth uh, so that the church can stand strongly and authoritatively on the Word of God, but actually go out with confidence and give the gospel to the people around about them. I like what you just said there, with confidence mm -hmm. and the gospel, because that's the central core of what we're really about, isn't it? Absolutely. If, if we're not doing something for the, for the main sake of pointing people to Jesus Christ, then you know, I'm just going to give up and go home, really. That was, if all we give them is science, it really doesn't mm -hmm. do a whole lot of good in most cases. Absolutely, yeah. Well, you mentioned eight men. Were there really eight men? Well, no. <laughs> no? Uh, <laughs> that may come as a shock to a lot of people. Yeah, actually a lot of people will um, uh, have grown up learning that over millions of years that we've evolved uh, from one kind of animal into another kind of animal through the processes of random chance processes, survival of the fittest, and, and eventually into ape-like creatures and then human beings. Uh, but that's not what the Word of God says. You mean all this hair on my arm didn't come from my ape-like days? No, that's your human hair. Oh, okay, human hair. Okay, I'm <laughs> glad you said that. Well, ape men, uh, what does the Bible have to say how we were created? Well, the Bible actually says that we're created in the image of God. And uh, that, that is actually a really huge subject. Uh, and, it, and it has uh, implications on so many different things, Mike. Uh, when we understand that we are not actually in the image of an ape-like creature, but we are in the image of the creator of the universe, uh, that is something that uh, gives more value to humanity than we could possibly ever understand. And so it, comes, it, it starts to help us understand something about human ethics, actually. Would you? I'd like to hear, expound on that one a little bit more. The the whole ethics situation because it's big in America right now. Rights mm -hmm. and ethics and mm -hmm. who can who's allowed to do what? Yeah, I mean, how do we value human life? Is is really uh, the main question here, and you've got to ask yourself if that valuation system is a subjective 
valuation system or an objective valuation system? So l let me ask you a couple of questions, actually, and, and let's see, uh, see if we can see what we're talking about. If your, you, your house was going to burn down and uh, there was a, a dog, a valuable painting, and, say, a human being in the house, and you can only save one of those things, which, can, which are you going to save? Well, it'd have to be the human being. I'm glad you didn't save my computer, though. All right. <laughs> no, yep. it'd, be my, it'd be the human well, being. Well, we'll just say it was an Apple computer, and you'll, you'll, oh, yeah, you'll we'll let, let that, we let yeah, that one go. Yeah, that one go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But we'll save the human being. All right. So uh, you, there's a reason, okay, that you said that. Uh, why? And that, that's the question. Why is that human being more valuable than the dog? Or uh, a valuable painting worth lots of money? There are people that might say, hey, I want lots of money. You know, but, but why is that the case? And so if we go back to our worldview here, we start understanding why we come to those conclusions. And if we're coming to those conclusions consistently. You see, uh, if the worldview is in the beginning, nothing became something and went bang, and then there was billions of years and somehow the earth formed as a molten blob and somehow water formed and somehow life sprang from non-life and then over millions of years of random chance processes we get to ape-like creatures and eventually man. What, what we're basically saying is that's the world view, is that we are just a rearrangement of molecules. So therefore, what makes one molecule more valuable than another? That's a good question. There is absolutely nothing that, that uh, gives us a valuation system for those molecules. You may as well uh, save your bag of rubbish that is in that home. And so it's just a, a different rearrangement of molecules. And that's why you would have people, some people, who might say, hey, I like the dog. It's my dog and, and the human being. I don't know them very well, but if my dog is in that house, I'm going to save my dog rather than the human being. And there's messed up valuation systems based on, realistically based on worldview. But if my worldview says this, that we are created in the image of God. That's, he created us different. We are not just another animal. Then I'm going to look at people differently. And I'm not going to value people on the basis of what people group they came from, on how old they are, on the development that they uh, are in in the womb. I'm going to say from the moment of conception, uh, it's a valuable human life. It's subjective valuation system to say that a certain amount of development in the womb is a certain amount of value. That's who says which stage? Who says any of these things? That's valuation that is based on a subjective uh, understanding. Thank you for saying that because it is a biological fact that life begins at conception because that's when we get all 46 chromosomes, all our information. At conception, yeah, and not only that, I mean, that confirms God's word, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, you know, before, he, before we were even here, God knew us and, and there's something special about every human life from the moment, from the moment of conception, from the moment it begins. And uh, uh, so we see humans uh, differently. To animals and being created in the image of God, we see those differences between humans and animals. Yes, how, how about the apes? Aren't they kind of close to us? That's what we're being taught in many schools. We're mm -hmm. only just a few percent difference there. So, yeah. how about if it was an ape in the building? Well, actually, let me let me um, give you an example of, of something that to me is quite amazing. In London, in the London Zoo. There are a number of people that got together and they wanted to show people that they were just another primate, just another ape-like creature, okay? Uh, so uh, they 
went into an exhibit, locked themselves into an exhibit in the in the London Zoo, and sat there with you know, uh, they they had their swimming costumes on, mm -hmm. Mike, and they were sort of picking at each other, just you know, pretending. Uh, but they were saying, hey, we're human beings. We're just another animal. We're just another primate. But here's a problem with that. And this is not something that you see in ape-like creatures. Why were they wearing swimming trunks? You can see a photo of this, and, and they say, hey, we're, we're showing this just to show people that we're just another animal, just like we, we fit in, like every other animal in the zoo. But why were they wearing swimming trunks? None of the other animals in that whole zoo were wearing swimming trunks. And the reason is, is because they were self-aware. Okay, so they might just be worried about the people that are coming and might get offended if they were, if they were naked, but then they realise that humans are self-aware. There's an ethics problem right there. There, there is, and there's, that's something apes don't have, okay? They don't have self-awareness. They don't have the ability for grace or compassion, mercy, love, those communicable attributes, those things that are the character of God attributes that have been given to humanity that make us different to all of the other animals. We have an ability to reason through things. We have an ability for responsibility. God told us to fill and multiply across the earth, right? And so he, he gave that to us because there was an expectation that we had a responsibility, uh, ability to carry it out. And so when we actually look at what it is to be created in the image of God, we realize that all of these things are things that are very particular to human beings that you do not find in animals. And then you can go through all of the physical, other physical attributes as well. But, but, but these things, those communicable attributes that we have from God, the fact that we are relational in, in such an a, a intimate capacity, compared to animals and how they can be and you know there's just everything is just so different with humanity. Well this is a great topic on ethics and our responsibility to God and what God has put inside of us. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in Romans it says we don't have an excuse for not believing him doesn't it? You know you look at uh, the world about us you look at uh, any human being and you not only see, you not only see just the amazing of God as a, amazement of God as a designer, you know, of of the incredible body that we have, but you see that difference. The difference is very, very clear, Mike, that we see between humans and every single other animal. He, he gave us the bill. You talk to doctors. What mm -hmm. is a doctor supposed to do? Preserve life. Mm -hmm. Why do we do that? That's because a, a lot of doctors have. Um, uh, are actually inconsistent with their worldview, by the way. Uh, so you have a lot of a, a lot of doctors who believe in evolution, millions of years, uh, random chance processes that we are just a rearrangement of molecules, and yet they're trying so hard to save the lives of those molecules and save them in a priority that human lives are the most important. Or well, how do they get that? That's inconsistent. How does anybody choose um, human life as the most prioritized life in? in the world if they don't have this understanding of being created in the image of God. They, I'm not saying, by the way, that atheists uh, or even atheist doctors, I'm not saying that they, don't, they can't have any morality. I'm just saying that if they have this morality where they're saying that, that human life is, is of the utmost importance, it's inconsistent with the worldview of millions of years of evolution. And that's very much like what gets taught in our public schools, this moral relevance. Everything mm -hmm. is relative. Mm -hmm. So everybody makes up their own decision, what's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the Bible gives a very clear standard on that. Mm -hmm. And God says he declares what's right. Mm -hmm. And he gave us some tablets also for determining that. There's ten things on there. Well, he did even more than that. He, he, he gave the law to Israel, of course, but then Jesus came and fulfilled it. So now we have even this standard of God himself coming to earth and fulfilling all of that law and showing us the perfection of that law in a person. That's huge. Yes, it is. But this whole idea of, of, of ethics again, the, the right and wrong and, and what's being taught in the world, there seems to be a, a complete uh, difference between what the Bible teaches and what the world wants us to learn, mm -hmm. all the way down to the elementary grade levels mm -hmm. that they're teaching. Uh, it's whatever you want to be as, as right and wrong. Right, and if you start with that worldview, uh, you, you start having kids that are growing up having unanswered questions mm -hmm. that are really difficult questions. Why, for instance, you've got teenagers, you know, coming through, they've been taught uh, that you're just a rearrangement of molecules. Now, it might not be said that crassly to them, but that's basically the worldview that they're getting. So why shouldn't they self-harm? Why shouldn't they cut themselves? Why shouldn't they, you know, you know, if, if, if that makes them feel a certain way. Why shouldn't you have uh, suicide? You know, all of those uh, different things that are plaguing young people today are not answered by an atheistic evolutionary worldview. And here's another consistency. How about a, a medical doctor who is supposed to be preserving life but yet does abortions? Mm, yeah. There's the big inconsistency. Yes, and, you know, one of the, uh, one of the most horrid uh, abortion clinics, and they're all horrid, by the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we uh, realize that uh, abortion is wrong in, what, in whatever setting. Uh, but there was a court case uh, not long ago mm -hmm. where a, a man was taking babies nearly full term outside uh, of the womb, even, even babies killed outside of the womb. Now, here's a subjective valuation system for you, because on that basis, he was doing it on the basis of whether the mother wanted the baby or not. How, how, how do you consider human beings, their value being based on whether they're wanted or not? We haven't changed at all in the ancient days of the Spartans. Mm -hmm. If the child didn't look like they were going to be a, a good warrior by the age of two, they'd throw them off the cliffs. Mm. Aren't we doing the same thing here? There's, well, at least in that situation, that is what is happening. But as you can see, it's all valuation that is based on subjective criteria. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you're wanted or not, whether you, um, whether its uh, development is to the degree that uh, you're satisfied with. Some people think not just abortion, but let's have a um, consideration of uh, something like the, the eugenics movement. Yes. You know, they would, um, they would say, Margaret Sanger, for instance, the the founder of Planned Parenthood the, and, and the eugenics movement in America, uh, she was an avid evolutionist, by the way, and, uh, and she would uh, agree and believe that people with deformities, people who couldn't contribute as much to society maybe as other people, uh, really should be either bred out, uh, eventually eradicated, and, uh, and, and that was a, a valuation system based on her valuation system, whether somebody can contribute the way she wants them to contribute to society or not. How subjective is that? Well, that's the same thing Hitler did. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, he's got statements about that, that if you're not going to be uh, good in society, let's eliminate you. If you've got any defects, we'll eliminate you. Actually, Hitler, based some of his ethics in that respect, from a gentleman by the name of Ernst Haeckel, 
And mm. if you read Ernst Haeckel, he was a Darwin, Darwinian philosopher. And uh, he uh, often, he, he's actually counted as, as saying that his whole view of humanity had changed since uh, Darwin brought in uh, not only his Origin of the Species book, but also The Descent of Man, which is all about human evolution. Mm. And he said, 50 years on, our understanding of humankind has changed and we see them basically as um, nothing but set for destruction. Well, let's say I'm, I'm a student in school, and, mm -hmm. and all I've ever heard is evolution. I'm a product of millions and millions of years of evolution throughout the history of this earth. Mm. Uh, what kind of an ethics, what, what do I have about my self-esteem? If that's all I am as a product of millions of years of evolving from some lesser creature, how should I feel about myself? Yeah, well, I think there are two things here to be said uh, about about that, particularly in relation to something like self-esteem, okay? Firstly, I want to, I want to put a, a different term here. I want to talk about our value rather than our self-esteem okay. for a moment. And I, I want to just disassociate those okay. for a moment. Um, when we see that our value, and if we, can, if we can go back and defend Genesis. Now, there are so many attacks on Genesis in the Bible, okay? And... Uh, and we can see, actually, by using observational science, that, um, that it, it doesn't confirm a history of evolution. It does confirm a history that says God created each kind after their own kind. He created human beings after human beings. Okay? Uh, it's really, really important that we understand that. In fact, there's two things when people are talking about evolution that I like to make mention of. Number one, it can't start. Number two, it can't progress. So it can't start. Um, what we see in observational science today is that life doesn't come from non-life. That's just a, a general, uh, a, a, there's general agreement, there's, you know, should be uniform agreement to life doesn't come from non-life. We never ever see that. Although I put some of my habanero sauce on these rocks and I think I see them moving around a little bit. That, that, well, that's because it's just disintegrating everything <laughs> yeah, okay. that it touches, okay? okay? Yeah, including my stomach the other day. Um, but, um, but life doesn't come from non-life and... Um, we don't see any observable process by which information in the genome can increase. Mm -hmm. So that means unless you see increased information that allows, for instance, a lizard to grow feathers, you know, which is something that is not in the DNA of a lizard, uh, it, it's never going to do that. It has to have that information increase that gives it whole new functionality, that gives it, uh, makes it a whole new kind of, of creature. There's no observational science that shows that mm -hmm. increase in information. So Evolution doesn't actually have an observable mechanism, so it can't progress. And that's why I say, if it can't start, it can't progress. And if it can't progress and it can't start, it can't be true. Okay? But if those, if those things that we see confirm the Bible, that we do see variations within kind, and it's a decrease in information as we see those variations within the kind, um, speciation, and God says he created each kind after their own kind. We see that confirmation uh, in Scripture, mm -hmm. in, in Genesis. That's what we need to do. We need to take our kids back and see, see the observational science actually does point to um, Genesis being true. Now, here's the case. If Genesis is true, and it is, because the Bible says this is the Word of God, the Bible, uh, and if it's the Word of God, his character should shine out. He is the light. He is the truth. So if, if we're going to see the truth in this Word, uh, we should see that it's confirmed by what we see in the world. It is, and therefore, this is what the Bible says about you, young person. You're created in the image of God. 
Wouldn't it be nice if we could get this word out to the students and young ones in this mm -hmm. country that they really do have worth? Yep. That they really were creating the image and likeness of a Worth God. and value. Yes. And every human being the same way, by the way. So even after, because people might say, okay, but your Bible says that in Genesis chapter 3, humankind sins and they're just, from that point on, they're, they're, they're doing horrible, despicable things and they're not living out God's characters. They're not being image bearers the way that they should be. So, you know, it's all very well to say that, but they're not the way that they, they were anymore. And that's true. All of us are born in sin. In sin did my mother conceive me. Okay, we're all born in sin. We've all got this sin problem. But even after sin, God says in Genesis chapter 9, verses uh, around 3, um, to Noah and his family coming off the ark, uh, if, if a man takes another man's life, if a beast takes a, a human being's life, uh, actually it says that uh, life for life. So in other words, the highest possible penalty for taking a human life is given. Why? Because it says that men, mankind, humankind, men and women are created in the image of God. That's after sin. So even every, every person we look at in the world, even after the event of sin, we should see every single person in the, human, in the world the same value as each other. We are all created in the image of God. Now that doesn't mean we're doing what he wants us to do as image bearers. We're sinful. We're actually rebelling against him and we're trying to choose our own way and our own character. But we are still, uh, we still get our value from this objective propositional truth that God created us in his image. Well, that goes back to where we began, the burning house. Mm -hmm. And you got a human being in there. You got a, your, maybe your favorite dog of all time mm -hmm. and uh, some other things in there. And let's say the human being is somebody you don't like very much. Mm -hmm. Our first thing would be to save that human being because God loves them, doesn't he? Amen. Yeah, actually. And they can change, can't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the light of Christ in somebody's life can just turn somebody right, right around. And we need to be hoping that that light of Christ through the gospel comes to them right through to their very last breath. We need to have hope and we need to be going out and, and telling people about how they can be saved by putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Mike, even in James, in James 3, 8, it talks about our tongue and how our tongue, sometimes we say bad things about people, it, it's full of poison, in, but it also says this, with it, we bless people, but we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. In other words, that's, a, that, that's saying to people, don't speak ill, don't even speak ill, uh, don't curse other people, don't call them names. You know, even if they're the critics, like that, there, there are a lot of critics. So I have a lot of critics. A lot of people say, oh, we don't like what you say, you know. Uh, and uh, atheist critics, for instance, they might call us names. But I don't need to call them names. In fact, I want to love them. I want to see them come to the Lord Jesus. Why? Because they're created in God's That's image. Right. Yeah. The, the God's love is unconditional. Right. Wouldn't it be great, and not only just in America, wouldn't it be great if we could just get this message preached in the churches? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, we don't hear this message in many churches that we are made in the image and likeness of God and God created everything just as it says he did in six yeah. days. There are a number of churches that might not preach this because they might say, well, we want to preach the gospel. But do you know this is a great lead into the gospel? And, that's, and, and it actually leads in also to what you were saying about self-esteem before. And that's why I wanted to make that separation. Mm -hmm. Here's the separation. We're created in the image of God, but we sinned. Okay, and we are not carrying out what he wanted us to be as his image bearers. Um, it is 
it, that's different. Our value is different to saying somebody should have self-esteem. Should we feel, walk around feeling good about ourselves? Well, we're people who are pretty despicable. We actually um, do things as if we hate God. We uh, all the time, we're, we're trying to choose our own ways. That's, that, that's sin. We're rebelling against God. Um, and we're doing you know, horrible, selfish things. Um, to me, that's not an invitation to be feeling good about yourself. But, but that is an invitation to say, hey, you have rebelled. And let's come to terms with the truth in who you really are. You are a rebellious sinner who needs a saviour. This is not about you getting self-esteem. This is about you being saved and seeing that any goodness that you can have can come from Jesus alone, who died on the cross for us, rose from the dead. If we have faith in him, we can be saved and he gives us his righteousness. And so then we're not boasting in ourselves, we're boasting in Christ who has saved us. Isn't that exactly what Paul said in the Bible? Mm -hmm. So our sense of ethics, our, mm -hmm. our value and ethics really comes from where we think we came from. Absolutely. Yeah. If we, if we don't go back to that very, very foundational point mm -hmm. uh, of, you know, on the sixth day, uh, after everything else had pretty much been created, here is the pinnacle of God's creation. On the sixth day, he created Adam. And from out of his side, he created Eve, man and woman. He created them. And he made this distinction. And by the way, the distinction is in the words in Genesis. Can I, I might just quickly yes, read please. them. Because in, uh, in Genesis it, it says, uh, <clears throat> Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have uh, dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. You know, uh, he created man, which is mankind, uh, is, is what he's really saying there. Mankind is in God's image. Uh, now, the distinction isn't that he created men in his image and not women in his image, because he makes that distinction later. It's mankind that God created in his image. And the subcategory of, of, of that is the distinction between male and female, men and women. That's a really, really important point. Because as we go back here and look at the, that foundational issue, God didn't create men distinct from women as far as value is concerned, but he did create mankind, men and women, distinct from all of the other animals. Good point. Wow. Well, you've got a wealth of knowledge in this area, Steve, and we're glad to have you here. Maybe sometime in the future we'd love to have you come back and talk some more about some of these issues. and. Uh, Talk more about what's happening at Answers in Genesis, some of the things that are going on there. Sure. And you've actually even written some books, haven't you, at Answers in Genesis Cells? Uh, yeah, uh, we've written, uh, well, I've written a book called In God We Trust, uh, Why Biblical Authority Matters for Every Believer. And even though it's called In God We Trust, it's, it's not about America, yes, actually. I've it's about trusting yes. God and uh, about helping people to know that, uh, they, that biblical authority actually really is important, starting with the authority of the Word of God. Uh, but also, there's been some other materials that are really good. There's, an, uh, there's a, a wonderful series that I had the opportunity to write with a friend called Answers for Life, and it's an evangelism series that people can use, starting at Genesis, going all the way through to the cross of Christ, and uh, answering 
questions of our time to help bring people through an understanding of our Creator, sin and judgment, the fact that we need a Saviour, that He is Jesus and who He is and what He's done. And they can go to the Answers in Genesis website to get these. Answersingenesis.org. Answersingenesis.org. And you've been listening to Steve Hamm from Answers in Genesis. And if you want to find out about where we get our ethics from, go to the Bible. Learn about what your value is in Jesus Christ. I want to thank all of you for listening, and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Music